Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ. Many people have questions today about women's roles within the congregation. Some have taken a look at some of the limitations and believe that women simply can't do very much within the body of Christ. But that is absolutely not the picture that the New Testament presents. Would you join me in a survey of the New Testament and take a look at the woman's role within the body of Christ? As we answer the question, I'm a woman, what can I do? We've all heard that the Apostle Paul was a misogynist, a woman hater. Skeptics and feminists of our modern day have rejected the Bible on that regard. Sadly, far too many Christians have apologized for that bias. I say that it's sad, not because we should apologize for such a bias, but it's always sad when Christians will apologize for a position that the Bible doesn't even hold. Paul was not a woman hater. Jesus was not a woman hater. In fact, when we take a look at the New Testament, women are elevated in Paul's mind and in Jesus' mind. The picture of womanhood within the Scripture is really remarkable within the history of mankind. We all recognize, of course, that within a local congregation, the role of sisters has been limited. In First Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Paul said, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. This is not a cultural statement. Paul bases this statement not upon his culture, but upon the beginning. As long as it is that Adam was first created and then Eve, and as long as it is that it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression, then Paul's limitation here regarding the role within the congregation is always going to be there. And it points out that sisters are not to have authority over the brothers within the work of the congregation. We know in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Verse 34, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 34, as Paul is discussing the assembly, as Paul is discussing when the church has gathered together in the assembly, he says, the women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's improper for a woman to speak in church or in the assembly. And so we recognize this limitation regarding the work of the church is regarding this assembly, these limitations. Because of these two passages, there have been all sorts of sisters in Christ that, that have wondered, that have struggled, and have asked the question, I'm a woman, what can I do? Is it true that because of these passages that sisters are really just dead weight on the congregation? Is it true that they don't have a role, that they can't do anything? That, well, if we can find a Bible class that they can teach among the little children, then we have a place for them. But other than that, they're merely pew warmers. Is that the picture that the Bible presents to us? Absolutely not. Now, sisters, I'm going to tell you tonight, there is no possible way for me to answer this question specifically for you. 
You, like the men within the congregation, have your own talents, your own abilities, your own resources. And so only you can really answer the question, what can I do? But what I want to do tonight is to clear aside the myths, the, the false propaganda by the feminists and the skeptics and demonstrate to you exactly what the New Testament shows us about the sisters in Christ in the first century. And what you'll find is that you can do just about everything that the brothers can do. With that one exception. You are not given the permission to be an authority in the work in the congregation or to take an authoritative role of speaking within the assembly. And that is it. What we're going to do is just work through the New Testament. I just want you to see how the sisters within the New Testament are pictured. The very first thing that I want us to notice is the women at the tomb in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 through 10. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, we perhaps see the most glorious presentation of women within the entire Bible. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee and you'll see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Before the first gospel sermon was preached on the day of Pentecost, before the congregation was established with, with the rules regarding roles within the congregation, before anyone else taught the gospel, here were these women and they proclaimed the gospel. They were the first to see the empty tomb. They were first to see the resurrected Savior. And they were the first to declare the good news of Jesus Christ that He was raised from the dead. Jesus was no woman hater. And sisters, you can declare the gospel of Jesus Christ just as Mary did. The second person I'd like for you to take a look at is in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 36. Tabitha, also known as, known as Dorcas. Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 32. Beginning at verse 36, excuse me. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 36, Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. 
And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Here was a sister in Christ that was a servant. I believe perhaps one of the greatest Christians in all of the New Testament. Here was a sister whose work within the local congregation of service was indispensable as she did what she could, where she could, for whom she could, as she made this clothing for her sisters in Christ, the widows who were in need, and she took care of them, served them. And I'll tell you what, if you want to see a testimony to how important she was and how great she was in the kingdom of Christ, I may have missed it. I've looked from the cover to cover of the New Testament. I have yet to find the single preacher that died and somebody sent for Peter and said, please raise him from the dead. Stephen was stoned, James was executed, and they just got buried. Tabitha, a servant of the Lord who used her abilities to serve her brethren within the congregation, died, and the first thing they did was get Peter over here. Let's see if we can get her back. What an amazing picture. Because she worked. Because she served. Did she take a leading role in the assembly? No. But I tell you what, she was a worker in that congregation. And her hands praised her. We continue on to Acts chapter 12. And we find Mary, the mother of John Mark. In Acts chapter 12, Peter had been arrested. Prayer was being made for him by the church. In the middle of the night, the angel of the Lord comes to Peter and releases him. And in Acts chapter 12 and verse 12, when he finally realized what had happened, that it wasn't just a vision or a dream, he realized this in Acts 12 and verse 12, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Why, in the middle of the night, does Peter go to Mary's house, the mother of John Mark? It wasn't because that's where he lived. It wasn't because that's where he stayed, because as soon as he got done passing on the information, he left. Why? I can only speculate that he went there because he expected to find Christians there. Mary must have had a reputation of being a person that opened her house for brethren to come and pray and worship and glorify God. And when there was a need, she was going to have folks in her home praying. Think about all the work that that entailed. And think about how important that was to the work of the congregation. I mean, we've learned within the past couple of years. But, you know, it's been two years since we had our fall focus on prayer. I want to make sure we don't forget all that stuff we learned back then. How important is prayer to the work of the congregation? How important is it for brethren to be getting together outside of the assembly and not just on their own in their prayer closets, but together with other Christians praying? And here Mary is opening her home to that. Think about all the work that she had to do to accomplish that. Probably find somebody to lead the, the thing. Make sure other Christians knew about it. Not to mention all the things that would go on in just having her home available and prepared. Wow. I will be honest with you. I'm guessing that Mary had just learned to deal with the fact that the house doesn't have to look perfect to have the brethren in to worship and glorify God. I'm betting that was something she had figured out. But what a worker. What a servant. What a picture of biblical New Testament Christianity among our sisters in Christ. 
But then we continue on to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 14. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 14, it says that there was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Here was Paul in silence. They had come here into Philippi. And this brand spanking new sister in Christ opened her home as hospitality to these brothers for a place to stay. What a work. What a service. And the interesting thing is, it wasn't just when things were good. It wasn't just an issue of, now I'm a new Christian, I'm all excited, I'm just going to keep doing it. it. Because even when things got bad, when the tide turned against these Christians that had come into Philippi, and they had been thrown into jail, and they had been beaten, and we go through their imprisonment, and all that happened there, in verse 40, they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. From the flow of the passage here, from the context, it appears it doesn't appear that they went to Lydia's house and they went someplace else to talk to the brethren. It's the fact that here is Lydia again. Practically a new Christian, opening her house to the brethren. And that was the place where Paul was able to encourage the brethren. Lydia opened her house for that. You think that was important to the brethren? That they could be encouraged by Paul there? I mean, what an amazing thing that was. Here the guy's just come out of prison and he's going to encourage us. And the sister Lydia made it possible by letting us all be there. We continue on and we look into Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18 and verse 18, we learn about a tent maker, Aquila, and his wife Priscilla. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Sincrea he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. Here was a sister in Christ that actually traveled with Paul for part of his missionary journey. And of course, we know the story in Acts chapter 18 and verse 26, after Apollos was preaching and only acquainted with the baptism of John, he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I might be wrong, brethren, but I don't think this passage is saying that Aquila explained to him the way of God more accurately while Priscilla just stood by offering silent support. I find it interesting that every time this couple is mentioned, Priscilla's name comes first. Priscilla and Aquila took him aside privately and taught him the way of God more accurately. I don't know exactly what she did and what she was involved in, but I know she was involved in teaching him the way of God more accurately. Was that important? In Romans chapter 16, hold your finger there and ask because we're going to be going right back to it, but in Romans chapter 16, this time in verse 3, it says, Greet Prisca and Aquila. That's Priscilla and Aquila. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles, also greet the church that is in their house. In Priscilla's house, a congregation met. But further, she had put her neck on the line for Paul's sake and for Christ's sake. And notice what Paul says about her. 
my fellow worker. She was working. She was busy doing the Lord's business. Doesn't mean that she was teaching a child's Bible class. I think children's Bible classes are authorized, but I think we'd be hard-pressed to find where there actually was one in the Scripture. She was working. That demonstration with Apollos was just one example. She was working so hard that Paul said, she is my fellow worker. We continue on in Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. Acts chapter 21 Verses 8 and 9. On the next day we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. You think being a prophetess was important for the congregation where they were in Caesarea? You think that was an important part of the Lord's work to have these prophetesses? I certainly think it was. I have no doubt that they fulfilled their role as prophets. In, in keeping with what Paul taught in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And yet, brethren, let's face it, we just have to admit by necessary inference that somewhere along the line, these sisters said something to a brother. Otherwise, how is Luke going to know they were prophetesses? If it was just the women just together and that was the only time it occurred, how's it going to get out to the men? Somebody somewhere among the sisters had to tell the men what these prophetesses said. They were working. They weren't in authority over the congregation. They were silent within the assemblies. But they were still getting that prophecy out somehow. They were working. In Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, we learn about the sister Phoebe. In Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Now, we've studied this passage enough to realize that when she is called a servant of the church, we know that that's the same word as deacon, but we've learned enough about deacon that there's a generic sense as well as the official sense. And we've studied 1 Timothy chapter 3 that deacons are husbands of one wife, and so Phoebe can't be a deacon in that official sense. We understand that. We recognize that. But I'm afraid sometimes that we're so busy to try to point that out that we miss what Paul says about this servant of the church. He says that the, the church here in Rome should receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. And the church is to help her. She's doing something and she would go to the brethren, she would go to the congregation and say, I need help doing this. And Paul said to the church, you help her. For she has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. What a powerful picture. And the congregation is commanded that when she comes to you and says, this is what I need, this is the help I need, that they were to do it. They were to help her. Because she was a servant and a helper. Then we have Romans chapter 16, verses 6 through 16. In Romans chapter 16, beginning at verse 6, it says, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you, Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. 
Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apellus, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Excuse me. Greet Esencritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. As he talks about these greetings, there are at least seven women mentioned. Some of the names, uh, it's not, not necessarily clear whether it was male or female, but there are at least seven feminine names here. Number six, or verse six, Mary. In verse 12, Tryphena and Tryphosa and Persis. In verse 13, you've got Rufus' mother. In verse 15, Julia and Marius' sister. And as Paul talked about all these, he didn't make a distinction. Notice what he said about Mary. She has worked hard for you. Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Rufus' mother, Paul thought so much of her, he said, and mine. No doubt, I guess it's possible that this is a physical mother and Rufus is Paul's brother. I guess that might be the case. But I think rather that Paul is talking about what a great help she had been to him. It was as though it was just like it was his own mother. Mary's uh, sister and Julia and all the saints with them. This picture of sisters in Christ, they were hard workers for the Lord. They weren't an authority in the congregation. They weren't speaking in the assembly, but they were working for the Lord and accomplishing good for Him and for His cause. Then we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11, Paul, talking to the Corinthians, says, I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you, or by Chloe. Here was a sister in Christ that recognized the divisions and the problems in the congregation, and she is the one that reported to Paul, which caused this letter to be written, opening the way for Paul to give this teaching to the brethren at Corinth. She was certainly concerned about what was going on. What a great work she did. What a great picture of biblical Christianity. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Philippians chapter 4. Verses 2 and 3. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He talks about Euodia and Syntyche. He says their names are in the book of life. They are fellow workers. He says to the brethren at Philippi that they should help these women because they have shared in the struggle. Yes, I recognize that they were obviously having some issue between themselves. There was obviously some strife and Paul was encouraging them to have harmony, but didn't Paul and Barnabas have some strife? Here, these sisters were workers for the Lord. They had helped Paul. They had shared in the struggle. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 15. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. 
Here was a sister like Mary, the mother of John Mark, who opened her house to the brethren. This was not just a group of brethren, but apparently the entire congregation was in her house, was meeting in her house. She had opened her home to be the place of the assembly for that congregation. That means they were meeting there on a regular basis. And do you think that her work was important within the congregation where she was? Continue on and we take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul says to Timothy, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it's in you as well. For this reason I remind you, and on he goes, he talks about how this grandmother and mother raised up Timothy. He said they've got this sincere faith. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 demonstrates one of the ways that they pass that on. He says, from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom. Lois and Eunice taught Timothy the sacred writings of Scripture. If I can get up on my soapbox for just one moment. Lois and Eunice didn't have veggie tails, brethren. They taught Timothy the sacred writings. I'm not saying that Veggie Tales and Hermie is just wrong. But Brethren Timothy had faith because he was taught by his mother and his grandmother the sacred writings. And they didn't water it down to make it entertaining. They taught him the sacred writings. We must not forget how important the raising of children is. We've heard the phrase that the hand that rocks the cradle will rule the world. Sisters, pass on your faith to your children. Pass on your faith to your sons. Pass on your faith to your daughters. And as we read the Scripture, it appears... It's not certain, but it appears that Timothy's father was not faithful. In the book of Acts, we learn that his mother was a Jewess and his father was a Greek. And as we look here, I find it interesting that Paul talks about the mother and the grandmother, but not the father and what was passed on through him. You think Lois and Eunice were important in the work of God for what they did? I think they absolutely were as they passed on the sacred writings to their son, their grandson, and as they passed on their faith. Back up a book in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 10. I'm going to take a look at a few passages, just a couple now, that just talk about womanhood in general within the Scripture. Not mentioning any specific women. But here in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 9 it says, A widow is to be put on the list only if she's not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. Notice what it describes here in verse 10. Having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. So these sisters who are widows indeed, if they've lived this kind of life, if they've been useful for the kingdom, if they've been workers, 
then put them on the list and allow the congregation to take care of them. But they were hospitable. They were hospitable. They washed the disciples' feet. That means they were servants. They assisted those in distress. Are all those works necessary? Are all those works important? Are all those great service in the kingdom of Christ? I certainly are. They're indispensable. The church can't continue without those kind of things. And then finally, Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. In Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, it says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. I find it very interesting in this passage that Paul writes to Titus, And he says to him, here's what you're supposed to do as an evangelist. In verse 2, he says, here's what you say to the older men. In verse 3, here's what you say to the older women. In verse 6, he says, here's what you say to the young men. In verse, let's see here, 9, it's here's what you say to the bond slaves who are among you. But there was one group of people that Paul told Titus, he didn't tell Titus to talk to. There was one group of people that Paul left up for somebody else to deal with. And I think that's tantamount to telling Titus, now Titus, you talk to the older men, you talk to the older women, you talk to the younger men, you talk to the bond slaves, but you better stay away from those younger women. You teach the older women to talk to the younger women. And I can tell you lots of reasons why. Because there's just too much temptation that goes along with that. And too many brethren have fallen trying to be the teacher of the younger women the consoler and the comforter of the younger women. Older sisters, your job is to teach the younger sisters. And we're not fulfilling that just because there's a woman's class. Younger women, you're to go to the older and learn from them. You think that's important? Really, this passage demonstrates the perpetuation of all these other things we've talked about. How does that get perpetuated? The older women who follow and obey God teach the younger women to follow and obey God. And they become older women who teach the younger women who become older women who teach the younger women. Were they taking authority in the congregation over the men? No. Were they speaking within the assembly? No. But were they working for the Lord? Were they an integral part of Christ's kingdom? Absolutely. Was it because they were just a part of the church's kids' Bible class program? Absolutely not. They were teachers of the gospel, proclaimers of the good news of Christ. They were hospitable to the brethren, servants of others, assisting those in distress. I'll tell you what, you know what the real issue today is here? And this is not just a problem among sisters, but among men as well. I'll tell you the reason why this is so much a problem is because few of us really want to serve the Lord. Most of us just want everybody to see us up front. Get up on another soapbox. Boy, it just kills me. 
when I hear about people that say, oh, I want to go to a small church because there's more opportunity for me to work. Because usually what they mean is I'll get to lead the prayer in front of the congregation more. I'll get to lead the singing more. I'll get to preach more. I'll get to wait on the table more. That's not the real work of the kingdom, brethren. Yes, that has to be done. But all this stuff that we're seeing done by these sisters in the New Testament, this is the real work of the kingdom. And all of us are, are to be doing it. This doesn't even begin to look at the Old Testament picture of women within the Bible. We're not talking about Sarah or Rahab or Ruth or Esther or Deborah. The Proverbs 31 woman. What amazing pictures. I tell you what. The next time somebody says to you, Paul was a woman hater. Or the Bible is keeping women down. Take them this list. The next time you rue the fact that within the assembly sisters, that you're not supposed to speak, or that within the work of the congregation, you're not to take authority over men. Remember this list. Because I tell you what, this is the work that we need. How are you doing in this? I hope this lesson was beneficial to you, helping you, especially if you're one of my sisters in Christ. Your position within the body of Christ is truly an amazingly strong one. I hope that this has helped you see exactly what you are able to do and what a great strength you can be in the body of Christ. If you have any questions about the role of women within the local congregation, about what the Bible says about women in any aspect of life, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please give us a call at 615-794-2359. Or you may reach us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps someone is giving you this lesson on audio cassette or on CD. If that's the case, I'd like to invite you to come to the website that I just mentioned a moment ago. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons, both in audio and outline format, that you are free to download and use in whatever way you believe will honor our Father in Heaven and stimulate and edify His children. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.